Before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you guys for a big favor. If you could leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else, it goes a long way. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. Okay, let's get to today's episode. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. So Leo, I'm super excited to talk to you about Neoplants. I was on your website just before this. And I got to tell you, it's an awesome website. And the first thing I thought is it looks like I'm about to watch a Ben Affleck blockbuster. It's, it's really cinematic. It's beautiful. So why don't you just give us a, a quick overview of what Neoplants is, and then we'll get into it. Sure. So at Neoplants, we are working on the first generation of uh, plants, bioengineered to fight air pollution. And the, the first problem we're tackling is indoor air pollution. So our first product is an engineered houseplant that you can put in your home and that can not only capture way more effectively the four main pollutants you find in your home, but use them as carbon source. So some existing houseplant has some capacity to capture in a very inefficient way some pollutants, but then they usually store these pollutants and accumulate them in the cells. What we do is we enable the plants to use these pollutants and use these compounds as a carbon source. So that's the first product we, we're working on. So let me, let me just, just simplify that because I don't know anything about this space. When you talk about pollutants, you're not talking about pollutants that are generated by the plants. You're talking about pollutants elsewhere that the plants can actually help reduce. Exactly. I am talking about pollutants that are constantly emitted from things we all have indoors. Paints on the walls, pieces of furniture, household products, and things that we, we use on a daily basis. So they constantly emit pollutants that we call volatile organic compounds, VOCs. And these compounds are carcinogenic and, and cause a lot of health issues, but are also very hard to remove because they are so tiny that they cannot be filtered or captured mechanically. And our intention is not just to capture them, but to actually eliminate them. So that's, those are the type of pollutants that we, we target. And how did you even discover this? Like, what, what was the seed of the inception of this idea? So it started with a, an encounter and then meeting with my co-founder, Patrick, who's the co-founder and CTO of the, of the company. Uh, we met in an incubator and Patrick has ju had just finished his PhD in genome editing. And uh, I was coming from what I call now traditional tech. And, um, and Patrick had this, this general idea at the time of creating an organism with a function, which is still blowing my mind today when I think about it. And we both had the strong belief that nature is the most incredible piece of technology out there. And that then Patrick started you know, telling me about the tools that he learned to master during his PhD those genome editing tools. And um, at the time, we took that idea of, you know, creating an organism with a function, and we were surrounded with plants, which are arguably a very beautiful and iconic organisms. And so we said the most powerful function we could give to that would be to purify the air. And we never went back from that conversation. And at the end of the day, a bit more than four years later, the, the first neoplants are growing. That's unbelievable. 
And so if I look at your LinkedIn here, I'm looking at your background. You started off, it says in 2012 as a creative. And then it looks like you move into uh, project management and, and then you start your own web agency and then you're in the business side. Did you have any background touching what you're doing today? Or are these all new skills that you've developed? I always evolved in the tech industry. At the time, now it sounds like you know building websites is, is a very common thing. At the time, it was, uh, it was fairly new, actually. And I've always been in tech, but I never thought I would end up in biotech until I met with Patrick, who just finished his PhD in, in bioengineering. I knew a few things about, about that out of curiosity, just because uh, you know, I was really fascinated by tech in general. But I had never really met someone with this kind of skills at the time. And you know, today, when I see what we are able to do, the whole company is built on, on this idea that, again, nature is something we can start working with instead of just consuming it as we've been doing you know, over the past uh, century or so. And I think that's a very powerful idea that really drives everything we do at Neoplants. So I don't have, I'm not the, the scientist of the duo, Patrick is, but I have learned a lot of things over the past four years. I do not have a PhD though. Are you, are you the design guy? Is that, is that the big strength you bring? I think I'm more of a, just a product slash business person. So I do everything that is not R&D related. I still sit in the, in the R&D committees and, and so on because I'm super uh, deep into everything that is product related. And in our company, R&D is very, very close to product. So my background and my knowledge is mostly in the venture-backed space is on things like SaaS tech and technology where you can build an MVP, try something, get early signals of traction, and then say, okay, we're going to go raise money and we're going we're to scale from here. What does that look like when you're at a company where the very existence of the product is, is the question mark? Like, How do you start building it? How do you prove traction? When do you raise money? What's that whole process like? Yeah, deep tech is a, is a different beast. And now I, I just start to have a little bit of distance on that and, and can, can look at it in a different way. But it is, you're right to point it out, it is very different. It's a different discipline because of the nature of what you're building, which as you put rightly, is, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty usually about the technology, about the product itself. So you not only have to show traction on the tech side, but also on the market side, you have to show traction everywhere. So what we did at least, and I don't know if this can apply to every deep tech startup, but I always looked for ways to show traction everywhere. So for example, some of the very first things that we did on the tech front was to go and talk to the most skeptic people we could find. So we would go to uh, people working in, um, bioengineering with plants. We went to talk to specialists in indoor air quality. We went to talk to regulators. I was basically looking for someone to kill that idea. And that was the very first sort of move we made. We talked to the regulators. We talked to all the people who could potentially kill that idea within a 30 minutes call, right? And let me, let me ask you this. What, what would be the most obvious or what, what's the best argument for killing the idea? It's not all black and white, I think, because for any idea, if you go and talk to people, there's always going to be a lot of people who tell you, no, nah, it's impossible, you can't do it. So 
you have to go into details about what is really behind the argument and then evaluate whether or not this is robust enough. Or if it's just uh, a lot of arguments are sometimes about, it's kind of a, a mechanical thing of, yeah, people have done things this way for the past 25 years. And so what you say doesn't make sense. I don't think this is a good argument. If the argument is purely rational or scientific or engineered, then it makes total sense. So I think the the kill switch should be something that is a first principle approach or super rational. If there is anything in there that is like a legacy or habit or way of thinking or subjective, then I think it's up to you as a founder to go and look for something else. And then you just add all the data points, right? So what we did was there was the pure bioengineering scientific part. Then there was the sort of air quality expertise side. Then there was the regulatory side. I mean, we took all the different things that could seem as a risk or as a threat. And we went to talk to the the people who had the background or the expertise to basically say, no, this will never work for reason A, B, and C. And then you analyze the, the reasons and make your own mind, right? So that was on the on the tech side. And yeah, so you're you're looking, I mean, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. People that say this isn't a good idea because it's just not done like that, it's been done like this. That's a very bad piece of feedback to follow, especially if you're an entrepreneur, because you're gonna have people saying things like that all the time. But it sounds like when the technicals don't line up and when someone says it can't be done, it defies the laws of nature, those are things you have to take a little more seriously. And obviously you got past those. Yeah, exactly. So I remember a comment from one person who became our scientific advisor after like a bit later. That person, when we shown him the scientific strategy about how we're going to make this happen, I remember he said, it's on the high end of aggressive, but it's possible. And we were like, this is what you need to do as a deep tech startup, as a, if you want to bring radical new innovations to the market, I think that's a good threshold. When you're building a rocket and trying to fly it and bring it back on earth, it is, you know, as people put it, there's 10% chance that it works, but it can work. When you do the math, it can work. It's a bit more complex with biology, but that's the kind of, feedback that we got. And for us, it was, it was not killed. There was still this, this sort of path to success. And so we did our very best to take it. I was going to say, it looked like, like you raised money in October 2022. That, that's when you had your seed round. And you, you raised a bit of money before that as well in 2019. But what was happening for those first three, almost four years of work? What was happening most of the time? And then what was the turning point in 2022 where you went ahead and raised all that money? Actually, we raised uh, different rounds. So uh, the sort of history is we had a very initial pre-seed of 100K, I think that was back in 2019, with which we we only invested some money in building like a initial sort of proof of concepts and then trying to get like a tiny lab in a, in a university and so on. Then we had a very robust scientific strategy. We had a scientific advisory board. We had some initial traction on the tech front, some initial traction on the market side. Like for example, I would spend a few hours a week in the streets, pitching the idea to people and just looking at the reaction that people would have. I mean, what you did know, you say to them in the streets? I'm so curious. You, you walked up to them and said what? Hi, I'm Leo. I'm starting a biotechnology company. Here's what we're building. 
would you like to know more? And after doing that for like, I, I probably talked to 350 or 400 people over the course of that sort of experiment. And when I, I was, it's not a very comfortable exercise to do, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but the reaction I got from people, I was doing it in Paris where people are going to be way more skeptical about anything that touches bioengineering than in many other places. When I saw the reaction, I was like, we have to build this. People were just giving me their email address. They were asking me, can we come to the lab? Can we see the plant? Can we get it? Can we buy it? I was like, okay, like people, there is something happening with this. We have to build it. And so we had, we had gathered some traction on the tech side, some traction on the market side. And that's when we raised a seed round. That was in summer 2019. Then we raised another round in summer 2021. And we actually only announced it in 2022. Yeah, I can see that. that that's why on Crunchbase, it just shows 2022. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we were completely off the radar for the past, uh, well, almost four years. We just announced the first product in October 2022. So do you have a commercial product today? So we opened a waitlist on October 27th last year. And the pre-orders will open later this year, and we will deliver the first batches of neoplants in the US, or I would say in North America, but very likely the US this year. And what, what is that first product going to be? Is it one single SKU? Is it a collection? Yeah, I like that you talk about SKUs because <laughs> it's, uh, it is a plant, but we see this as a, as a piece of tech. So um, it will be one SKU. It will be one product. We call it Neo P1. And we will start with this. It's already uh, it's been a long way uh, coming. But the idea is uh, that in the future, we will release new SKUs, whether new versions of the existing SKU or completely new form factor, different species of plants with different features. So are these... I'm looking, and I'm, I'm looking at the P1 on the website now. It's beautiful. Are these real plant i mean what are these are are these real plants that do exist in nature or they could exist in nature or they don't exist in nature they are real plants which uh, species exist in nature but some parts of their dna code doesn't exist normally in plants so what we do is we look in nature for organisms that usually microorganisms that are able not only to survive but to live in very highly polluted areas and we look at their DNA code. And within this code, we look for the lines of code that enable them to develop those features that enable them to basically live within those environments and use the pollutants. That's what happens. They use the pollutants as a carbon source so they can grow with that. We extract that code. We adapt it for the plant, put it inside the plant, and then the plant develops those capabilities. So it's a bit of both. It's a bit of we enhance some of the traits that plants have, but we also add new functions. Like um, what I was mentioning at the beginning, the ability for a plant to not only capture more efficiently, but to use the pollutants as a carbon source is not something that regular house plants can do. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? 
How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. And I'm looking here. It looks like the base itself, the base that the plant sits in, is also functional. That's not just a, just a normal base. Is that is that true? Yeah, we we call it the shell, and we designed it specifically to maximize the air exchange between the substrate and the room. So the product is composed of two main features. The first one is the metabolism engineering of the plant. So that's what I was describing just before. Every cell of the plant is engineered to not only capture more efficiently, but to use the pollutants as carbon source. But the second feature, which is just as important, and actually even more important for the first product, because we got tremendous results with this, is the microbiome of the plant. So we also work on the microorganisms that live outside and inside the plant. Just as us humans, we have a microbiome, we have microorganisms outside and inside of our body that help us function. It's the same for plants. So we select and we optimize that microbiome to supercharge the air purification capacity of the plant. So by building this shell and designing it to maximize the air exchange between the substrate and the room, we also maximize the impact of that microbiome. Who's the market for this? Who, who's buying this plant? Is it, is it a broad mass market? Is it a certain kind of buyer? What we see for now is very interesting because the people who are signing up on the waitlist, we have, we have very different sets of audiences. We have plant lovers, of course, because those who sign up see this as a, whether a rare plant or the ultimate house plant. But then we also have people who do not have plants. And that's where it gets really interesting. So we have people signing up who are, whether sensitive to air quality, who are in market for air purifiers, who don't necessarily have a, a plant, but see this as a, as a piece of technology or as a piece of innovation. And I think that is very, very exciting for us because what we're trying to do here is we're creating a category of product that doesn't exist and that is between an ornamental plant and a machine. And so seeing such diversity of audiences within the waitlist is showing that the, the market that we, we can be appealing to is, seems fairly broad at least. Can you share how, how big the waitlist is? What I can tell you is that in the first two months and a half following the announcement, we had a bit more than 30,000 people signing wow. up on that waitlist. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a big audience. And what is the... I mean, obviously, you're not going to share your entire product roadmap, but, but what are the extensions here? Like, Does this grow with more plants? Does it grow horizontally with different form factors serving the same function? Where do you see it going in that sense? The next iterations of product, whether cover more pollutants indoors, might look different. So different form factor, a variation on the form factor, because people who love plants, they also have their own taste. So we want to appeal to that, of course. And the last, the last thing is performance, right? So we're working with something that has never been done before, and it's the very beginning. So right now, the performance measurement that we we have and we publish the data. Actually, it's available. We released a few weeks ago a white paper that shows everything from the science, everything we do, to the measurement, everything we measure and how we measure it and where's the data and where does it come from. So right now we can show that one Neo P1 is equivalent to up to 30 regular house plants. So as, as if you were packing a room with plants. 
So it's a, it's a huge number. But for us, we see this as a starting point. So we want to push this. And then we want to bring something to people's homes that maximizes the, the impact we can have. And it's a very new type of uh, technology, very new type of product. And so it takes time, but we want to iterate on this and we want to see where we can push it. Is there some noticeable difference? I mean, what's the brand promise? Obviously, it's a deep tech product and there's a whole lot of benefits from it. But is there any kind of outcome somebody would notice if they have it? Would, would the air smell fresher or they get sick less often? Something like that? We can make a lot of hypotheses. The reason why we didn't talk about what we are building for the first four years is because we prefer to do and have the data to then talk which is not that trendy in the startup world, but that's our DNA. So right now I cannot make those claims, but what I can tell you is that we are looking at this and we'll do everything we can to generate the data to go in that direction. We can make hypothesis because you could say, well, if the plant has this impact on air quality and knowing that air quality has that impact on health, on focus, on you know, well-being in general, you, know, you can make those hypotheses. We have a team of 20 scientists and engineers. There's more than 40 years of postdoctoral experience in our lab. You know, we don't want to make claims that we cannot back with data. So I cannot make that claim today, but we will be working on it to get there. What's been the hardest part? Four years is a long time in startup world, especially to keep all of your buzz private. And you know, every day you're working your butt off and, and trying to get uh, something to market. What's been the hardest part for you? For the company? Well, let's do for the company and then do for you after. Okay. For the company, there's a few things that were very hard. The first thing that comes to mind is the team, right? So to build something like this, you need a very unique set of people with a very unique set of skills. And usually these people are not going to be in the same room or in the same country in the first place. We are bridging very different domains of biology in the same lab, which didn't happen before. So the challenges that come with this is hiring and finding the right people. And second is the culture, because a lot of those extraordinary talents come from academia and we're a product company. So it's a different mindset, right? And it's not about publishing a paper. It's about shipping a product and it's, it's very different. So you cannot do things perfectly. You cannot be exhaustive everywhere, anytime. Like we don't have time for it. And it already takes four years to get to a product. So I think finding the people who have this kind of mindset and building the culture that goes with that, I think as a deep tech startup has been one of the main points of focus and, and one of the things that we still care very deeply about and we're trying to nurture over time. That's one thing that comes to mind putting the right team together and then instilling the culture where they're actually working towards the same goal, which as you said, is a commercial product, not a white paper. Exactly. And it's very, very different because it requires some flexibility. It requires some agility, some like taking more risks, actually, in the sense of making decisions that, okay, we want to do this. There is a thousand way to get it. And I have, we have this kind of people who can come and say, to do this, here's a hundred different ways we can make it work. And to publish the best paper, you would try the hundred different things and then get to a conclusion. We don't have time for the hundred different things. We need to pick three of them 
and do everything we can to pick those in the best way possible. And then we commit to them. And that's the hard part, right? That's what makes deep tech dangerous and, and a very, very different discipline. But it's a, as you can see, it's a very different mindset than you know publishing a paper where we try to do everything and very tidy. Here we have to make decisions. And that's why you need really good people who can make those decisions and um, gather data quickly and also have the background to, to have an intuition. They don't like when I use this word, the scientists in the team, but I really believe that they are equipped with that. When you have spent 20, 25 years of your life working on a very specific technical domain, you do have some kind of intuition on what can work or what cannot work. So that, that was one thing, a very interesting topic to me, at least. And another thing that is not easy, and fortunately, I'm touching some wood, we keep going that way. Fundraising for a deep tech startup like us is not easy, especially we have a consumer product. We are doing biotech. We are not based out of Silicon Valley. It's not easy. It is challenging. And, you know, for us, you know, we're very fortunate. We have incredible investors who have done both deep biotech companies and consumer tech companies. We have world-class entrepreneurs at the cap table, both in bioengineering and consumer tech. So we're very fortunate, but it's not easy. It's not a straight line. Fundraising to me seems like it would be really, really difficult because as you said, you have to show product traction, which is a big, big deal. But then you also have to show that there's a market for this. So everyone talks about PMF, product market fit. Yeah. But you have to also show that this is technically possible first and at the same time do that and all the other things that you're juggling at once. The culture, the team, the hiring, the, the finance, the cash flow. So I can only imagine as an outsider, it's such a beautiful looking product and brand. And I'm sure on the inside, you're really working your butt off to make it look like that. That's not just happening. Exactly. It's, it's such a huge heavy lifting from the whole team. And it's really years and literally, uh, maybe not blood, but a lot of sweat and tears for sure. And the credit goes to, to the team of incredible individuals who are working on this and, and making it happen. It's just... Yeah, it's just uh, phenomenal to see this step by step because we work with nature. So it has its own rhythm and it takes time. So that's another thing. You know, we are one of the biggest constraints we had was we work with the full organism. And so the product iteration cycles are super long. We have managed to cut them by almost half since we started by optimizing some processes and, and regeneration uh, techniques. But, you know, it's huge timeline. So, yeah, it's not, it's not a straight line. It's a pretty, uh, pretty difficult one to build, for sure. And I got to say again, and anyone listening, go to neoplants.com. This website is beautiful. And the branding and the font and the colors and everything is just so well done. Who, is, this, is this your brainchild or do you have a design team doing this? We don't have a design team, but uh, I have a background in uh, product marketing and... Uh, and we work with fantastic partners since the very beginning. And there's a lot of people who have been very talented people who have been surrounding us and, and helping us get there. So yeah, thanks a lot for the feedback. It's really, uh, it's really awesome. Do you have... Is there an inspiration here? Are you trying to look a certain way? Are you, are you going for a certain aesthetic? Or did it just evolve into this and, and that, that's how it happened? It did evolve quite a lot. What I can tell you is the sort of brief or, or what we're trying to achieve is we're always trying to strike the right balance between deep science and lifestyle, which is what defines us. It's 
we are a super deep tech company, but we work on a product that is super simple in its idea, right? And so we want it to be appealing and accessible and exciting. So another thing is that can go into the lifestyle is, or at least in the combination of science and lifestyle is, as a company, what we stand for is going beyond just this first product. We stand for putting nature at the heart of innovation. This is the mission that we have as a company. And I think it speaks, it resonates with people. And so we wanted our brand to encapsulate that, which is not uh, easy because there's not uh, 10,000 companies out there who, who are doing this. We're not alone. There's a whole movement of companies. I'm thinking about the companies working on uh, meat alternatives or new materials, doing fantastic things going in the same direction. So we're part of this movement where it's like super deep tech and there is a lifestyle angle to it. So that was the background thoughts. Yeah. So it says here on your site, there's an announcement coming in 40 days. Is that a product announcement? Is that something that you've already revealed? It's not something we've revealed. And I have to keep the surprise. <laughs> Can't share anything. Okay. I love the countdown clock. Was, I love the... Maybe just for the story. It's something that a bit last minute when we were designing this version of the website for the announcement in October last year. Last minute, I said, hey, we should put a counter in there. And uh, it will give the pace for the updates that we give. And now, now there's, there's a few people who, within the team who hate me for this because it does give a pace. But for a deep tech startup, it's very hard to have this kind of regular announcement at a very specific date. But we decided to keep it for now because I think it's, it's a nice reminder that there's now a lot of people out there who are who are watching this, who are wanting this and following this. And so we're trying to keep like a very open, very uh, transparent sort of conversation and, and communication channel with people. If you sign up on the waitlist, you start receiving some updates. And if you follow us on social, for example, last week we released the first update where I, I share very transparently, okay, these are the questions you have been asking us. Here's where we stand and here's where we're at, basically. And we're going to do way more of that in the coming month. Well, you've done a phenomenal job at building this community and and bringing people together. Uh, like you said, 30,000 people signing up in the first, I think you said, month and a half. That's an, an astounding number. And uh, I can't wait to see where this thing goes. We'll do our best. We're trying to take things step by step. And it's very difficult. It's a very uh, steep mountain to climb. And there's always a new one to climb after. But we really, really believe that we have to start working with nature and, and work with it basically to bring solutions to the big problems out there. It's the biggest R&D lab in the world, right? Nature, it's, it's incredibly powerful. It is, so, um, it is sustainable by design. And this is what really uh, triggers our interest as a company. We're like, there is a technology here that we didn't build. So it's very complicated to, to understand and then to work with but it is sustainable by design. How can we leverage this instead of just you know, burning it? And so I think it's worth the effort. It is worth the hard work. And even if it takes time and a lot of resources, we keep going for it. And uh, hopefully we can share that with more and more people and uh, people will give us their support. 
Did you? I just have one more question. Did you have this passion? Because as I talk to you, the passion just oozes off of you. What was the point? Like, I don't know, back when you were working at Leo Burnett and Google, like, did you have this in your head or was there a point where you said, oh my goodness, this needs to be my mission now? I think I. I'm not afraid to say that I'm a typical millennial guy. I was working in tech and for Google. And I think Google is an amazing company, by the way. I, was, I thought it was incredibly stimulating experience intellectually. But I was always under the impression I wasn't necessarily working for something that was good or where the impact was good. And I, I, I was ready to work a lot and commit to spend a lot of my time and energy on something that would have an impact. And I didn't want to have a doubt about this. And that's what I find in Neoplans. I do think from what I hear from consumers and, and people we interact with that from the outside, it's something that people can find in our company and our product is that sense of purpose on top of the impact it can have in your home. And so I think, yeah, I think that's the answer I found in this company. Well, thanks for sharing it with all of us. And uh, again, can't wait to see the product. I'm on the waiting list, so I can't wait to see it. Amazing. Thank you very much for your time and really happy uh, about this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, leave a rating or review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. We'll talk to you guys next time.